if you're picking up the pieces of something that was broken, whether it's culture, staff, financial, moral, whatever it is, you're picking up the pieces of what was lost. That will reveal to you where you need to gain the most trust. Welcome back to the Leadership Download Podcast. You're in store for an awesome, special, extra special interview today. Uh, We have Dr. John Chastine on the podcast. Um, Dr. John Chastine, um, he recently released his latest book, Re-Leader, How to Fix What You Didn't Break. Uh, Just to tell you a little bit about Dr. John, he is the lead pastor of Victory Church and we had the honor of um, being introduced to him to come on the podcast, and we're so honored. We had an awesome discussion on what it means to relead, what it means to relead. Oftentimes, uh, we talk about this in the episode, there is so much content out there on building teams, building things from the bottom up, but there might be some opportunities that you've had or experienced that you had to go into a situation and fix something that you didn't even break or you were just thrown in there and you had to go and fix it. And this is very prevalent for Travis and myself in the aviation industry. We were thrown into different situations where we had to relead. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation that Travis and I have with Dr. John Chastine on becoming and what it means to be a re-leader. So hope you enjoy this episode. Well, John, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, honored to be on here with you guys. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, looking forward to to this discussion. Uh, for those listening, uh, John came out with this new book called Re-Leader, How to Fix What You Didn't Break. Congratulations on this new book launch. Hey, thanks. It's a labor of love, love like any book, but it's. Uh, I hope yeah. it helps. Yeah, it's been really awesome uh, finding you on YouTube and then um, connecting with your book. And now here we are talking to you. Um, so I really want to start and take a deep dive into this topic, Re-Leader, because this is very so relevant to Travis and, and myself with our experiences in the aviation industry. And so tell us a little bit about your journey in carving out the term Re-Leader. Why was this so meaningful for you and the root of it? And also, you know, also talking a little bit about your heart behind this book. Yeah. So, you know, I'll tell you a quick story behind it that kind of reveals it more than anything. It was a couple of years ago, I was with a friend of mine and great leader. Um, uh, and he was saying, hey, let's let's partner up on some things and let's do some roundtables. And in, in this context for pastors, we, we were both pastors. And he said, let's do some roundtables and, and help pastors learn how to plant churches. And I was just like, man, I don't know how to plant churches. I've never done that. Why would you want me to help you teach other pastors how to plant churches? And and he just kind of said, well, then what is it that you do? Like, what is it that you have done that you could help pastors do? And I kind of just, without even thinking about it, something just came up from my gut. And I said, I'll fix broke stuff. And he looked at me and he said, then that's, then that's what you need to help other leaders do. And so he helped me kind of articulate what I was sensing. And as I looked back on my life, I realized that every leadership role I've ever had from sales to a university as a vice president to a pastor and then to as a university president, every single one of of those things in my life, I saw a pattern. And the pattern was I didn't start any of it. Every single situation, I took something that someone else had built. And when I took it over, it was broken and I needed to fix it. And so what I realized is that most of the, I love, I love to absorb leadership content, but but my struggle was most of the content out there is teaching us how to grow, build, start, grow, build, start. And what I realized is that a lot of times I'm not growing anything. I'm trying to make something survive. (laughs) I'm I'm not trying to start something. I'm trying to restart something and I'm not trying to grow, grow. I'm trying to regrow and rebuild it. And so that's what I realized is that, man, there's a whole niche of people out there that aren't leaders. They're re-leaders. They're, they've been called to fix something. Uh, most of us didn't start the role we're in, whether we're a teacher or a vice president or a CEO or whatever role we're in. We didn't start it. We have to restart it. So that's where it, that's that was the genesis of all of this. And and then he helped me come up with this term re-leader. I'm not a re-leader. I'm not a leader. I'm a re-leader. So that's where it came from. You know, you talk about in the book a lot about honoring the past and yeah. and really being part of that transitional process of maybe you're 
you're taking over for someone who's left and maybe that's a positive uh, legacy that's been left, or maybe it's a negative legacy, but you talk about honoring the path, but also pushing towards fixing and, and improving yeah. things that are broken. Um, obviously that's easier said than done. So, you know, what are, yeah. what are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, um, I think the temptation for any leader um, and real leader in this context is that when you take the reins of the horse or the wheel of the ship, you're, you're, you know what you you instinctively know. This is what we need to do. Let's go. Let's start. Let's get to it. But it's so important to pause and reflect and to know. It's it's really hard to know where you're going unless you know where you've come from. And so a big part of my passion is to is to remember right to to think through who came before you and onto the legacy of that. And in my context as a Christian, as a believer, as a pastor, I have to believe that whoever started this thing heard from the Lord. They they. At some point, something was a seed was planted in them. They started the business. They started the department. Um, they started the school. They, they, somebody came before them and built something really great. And and I've been called to come alongside and to continue that on in the process. And so sometimes I have to rebuild it. Sometimes I have to take the the baton and run my leg of the race. But but it's really this thought that um, I am not the lead pastor of Victory Church. Uh, I am not the president of the King's University. I am the interim president, and I am the interim lead pastor, which means it's it's me having the foresight to think this isn't about me. Uh, this is about my leg of the race. and there's gonna there's gonna be a man or a woman that's going to come behind me and pick up the baton and keep running because I want this organization to outlive me. I want it to outlive my predecessor. I want it to outlive my successor. And so, it's just keeping this, I am a very small piece of this pie. I'm a very small piece of the story of this organization. And if I want to be remembered by my successor, I should probably remember my predecessor. And it's just this, I want to honor, I want to honor this organization and be a part of its story. And so I just think it's a critical part before we start our journey is to really take some time to remember where we came from. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it because, um, you know, I think I've always gone into these re-leader opportunities and as especially as a young emerging leader going, you know, where can I make my mark? It's all about exactly. me, right? And it's all about what can I do to make that mark in this location and make it my own and not th and not having that perspective that you're just a small piece of that puzzle. You have to set it up for someone else uh, to come after you and generations beyond that. It, it really changes your mindset in terms of how you approach your leadership the, and the way you lead your team or organization. It really does. And, and, and why wouldn't I, right? I mean, th this, this is not about me. It's, it's not about the kingdom I'm trying to build. And in my context, I'm trying to build the kingdom of God. And so if I try to make something about me, truth be told, if we're a belief, if we're Christians, mm. uh, no matter what we're doing, whether we're in aviation or the medical field, it's about being used by God, right? Not using God, but being used by God to make yeah. an impact. And when we do that, we're, we're, and really it's, it's a great leadership trait anyways, because the truth is if you're a re-leader, when you came on the scene, um, you didn't build this building, you didn't build these policies, you didn't build this culture, you didn't hire the staff. Mm -hmm. And so you have, you've adopted, you've inherited, let's say you've inherited 20 staff members for you to not honor the past means that you're not honoring them. Sorry, I guess when I put my thumbs up on a Zoom call, it put <laughs> oh, look at that. That's amazing. <laughs> I think that's a sign that what I just said was worth celebrating. Yeah. Um, but if if we're not, let's think about it. If I come into an organization and I just blaze a trail and get off going, in a sense, one could make the argument that I'm dishonoring the staff and everything that they had done before I got there. Even if things are broken, they have done their best um, usually one person or one system or one situation caused something to be destructive and I'm coming in to fix it. But it, it doesn't take that much effort to honor the past. It doesn't take that much effort to do it. And the benefits of it far outweigh the sacrifice of doing it for your culture. I think one, one of the uh, challenges too, and I really like how you talk about your transition in Victory Church when you were given the helm of of that church uh, through that transition. And it often took me back to experiences that I had in, in aviation. Um, but so how did you, uh, how was your journey on truly making it your own? 
when transitioning to take on a victory church being yeah. uh, the leader of that church how did you make it your own i think um you know a big part of that is you understand it's a marathon not a sprint um I, I i had a podcast on this on releader but the first thing you have to do is build trust and if you if you can't build trust then no one's going to follow you and the tricky part about trust is it's gained by the spoonful and lost by the bucketful so when I came into Victory Church, my predecessor, my context was that my predecessor had made some pretty damaging mistakes. He had had a moral failure. And in the church, that's hard in any world, but in the church world, it's devastating. So trust had been lost. And so um, most leaders want to get in, get off to the races, establish themselves, get going. But really trust is something, again, that's that's gained by the spoonful. And so it's it's little by little, and so it's giving part of it's giving yourself that patience to to really build your team, build trust. You're not going to really take your team anywhere if they don't trust you. Um, it's hard to turn a cruise ship if no one on the cruise ship trusts you. Um, so I I think it's a it's a it's a relational component. You got to build trust. A lot of it's relational. There's a lot of leaders that that's not there. I'm a very relational leader. That becomes very natural to me. There's other leaders where maybe they're not relationally, they're more strategic and system oriented and that's okay. But having those systems in place, even if you have to systematize your relationships in a sense to be intentional about spending time with your team, spending time with the staff um, and realizing that part of this is a marathon. And if we, if we think this is a sprint, some now leading, if you're starting growing building, it's a sprint. Like you're off to the races, you're starting the company, it's fast, it's growing quickly. Um, many times in releading, especially if you're coming into an organization where things are broken and, and the culture's broken and the staff are broken, um, it is a marathon. So you have to you have to engage your mind to think marathon, not sprint. And if you if you if you don't get the right pace, you're gonna burn yourself out and you're gonna burn everybody else out. If you just try to go in and just get off to the races and get going. Um, so, so it's really having a mindset of knowing that, that there are days in certain areas of this organization that I'm going to have to treat this like a marathon. This is not a sprint. You know, I once heard John Maxwell talk about how, when he, when he transitioned to one of his churches, that the, the senior pastor that he was, um, coming after was very focused on, he was very musically inclined and very talented in that area. And he attracted lots of musicians and, and that talent. And when he came in, you know, he was more leadership driven, more, more leadership developed. Yep. And over time he began to attract more leaders and, and less on the musician side, yep. you know, it's a culture shift. And I'm curious to, curious to know um, when you're, when you're transitioning and you've got a leadership team that you didn't choose, how do you kind of begin to sh help shift that culture to your style of leadership, but yep. at the same time, not be, I mean, shoving it down their throat, so to speak, that, you know, this yep. is the new way of doing things. No, it's a great question. And, and, and he's right. A lot of times as leaders, we attract who we are. So if we're, if we're younger, we'll attract younger. If we're a little older, we sometimes will attract older. And, and even in the context of talents and giftings, um, so when I when I came in to Victory Church, it, it's funny, our church was built on uh, back in the early 2000s. We were one of the fastest top 100 fastest growing churches in America, and it was all done. Uh, not all, but a lot of it was done on the heels of this production, a lot of big production, big Easter plays. And we'd rent out the Coliseum and have these massive plays. And so out of that, this was long before I arrived at the church, but we had huge creative arts departments. I mean, massive creative arts. Our church actually had a dance studio. I mean, it was wild. Mm -hmm. And so again, when I come in, how much does John Chastine care about dance studios? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to dance. I'm not a dancer. I'm not creative. I'm not a creative arts guy, but I didn't just come in day one guns blazing either. You know, I didn't, do we still have a dance studio? No. Nine years later, we no longer have a dance studio. We're not doing Christmas plays. We're not doing Easter plays. But I didn't come in guns blazing. And what I always tell people, I use this analogy, is imagine you have been named the the new captain of a cruise ship, and they they fly you into the cruise ship. It's already it's already headed towards a destination, and you get into the helm, and you're sitting in the captain's seat, and you start looking at the maps, and you realize we're going the wrong direction. 
this is we're we're going north. We're supposed to be going south. Um, so so think about it. You know that you're going the wrong direction, but if you reach for the wheel and just spin it as hard as you can and as fast as you can to get to going the right direction. I mean, you're going to be going the right direction, but if you do it too quickly, you're going to throw everyone off that ship and you're all the furniture is going to, is going to shift to one side and everyone's going to go sliding and everyone's, I call it organizational whiplash, you know, like even if the leader does the right thing, but does it in the wrong way, it actually is more harm. It's more harmful than doing the right thing. So I think it becomes very strategic. And I think I've been on a couple of cruises in my life. And what I've noticed is the best cruise cruise ship captains know how to turn the ship and no one on board even knows it's turning. No, no one has a clue that the ship is turning. So, so for me, leadership, anybody worth their salt, anybody with half a brain can step into an organization and say, something's off, something's not right. We're going the wrong direction. It, that's not the hard part. <laughs> that's actually yeah. the easy part. The, the hard part is, is how do I do it? Mm. Not, not what do I do, but how do I do it? Um, how do I do this so strategically that no one even realizes that our culture is shifting? We didn't just come in guns blazing. You know, I, I bet you John Maxwell didn't come in and say, okay, I'm not a musician, so we're not going to focus on music anymore. We're going to shift all of our, no, he was far more strategic than that. And then kind of you wake up four or five years from now and and you realize that oh wow this is my culture it doesn't happen overnight you know mm -hmm. i had a guy call me when i first took over the church and he said john right now you're standing in the in the field of someone else's harvest right so i didn't sow any of the seeds to the fruit that i'm tasting right so if you're a listener and you're tasting a culture you're tasting a staff you're tasting policies and procedures and patterns you didn't plant any of the seeds of the fruit that you're tasting. And what I was doing is I was so frustrated with the taste of the fruit, right? And I was trying to fix the fruit. And what this guy so wisely told me, he said, if you'll just stop looking at the fruit, stop looking at the harvest and just start throwing down your own seed, just every day, wake up and say, what seed do I need to throw down? And he said, someday you'll wake up four, five, six, seven years from now, however long it takes, and you'll be standing in the harvest of your own seed. And and so again, it goes back to that marathon, not a sprint. It is it is it releading takes time, and that's and that's why it's not for everybody. And there's a lot of people that are born entrepreneurs, and they're trying to relead, and it's too frustrating for them. And then there's people who are born to relead, and they're trying to be entrepreneurial, and start. And and it's just a particular gift set. And it's important to know where you where you land, in one in, in either one of those, you know. Yeah, that, that was the most frustrating thing for me. I went, I was assigned to this airport or location and um, you want things to turn around instantly uh, yeah. within a short amount of time. And the, the reality is it's not going to happen because it's all a, a process. And as when we talk about fixing it, that could be a daunting journey. And you talk about that in your book and yeah. you know, I appreciate that authenticity and transparency of of your journey through through Victory Church, um, it could involve a lot, and it, it has a lot of impacts. And in your book, you you talk about how you know you, trouble will come your way. You'll be exhausted. Mm -hmm. It'll impact your mental health. Yeah. It'll ha you'll be distracted. And you know when you're in this fixing it journey, talking about this re-leader, becoming a re-leader or being a re-leader. Um, sometimes the easy thing could just say, I I'm done. I, I can't yeah. do this anymore. Yeah. Um, so how, how did you, through your journey so far, continue to press forward and, and not quit? Yeah. I think it's, it really good. I, I go into this a little bit in the book, but it's really that thought that what if, what if my only job, again, we live in it, we live in a culture in a nation where we celebrate finished things, right? We celebrate the, the end product. We celebrate Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and and the people who grow, build, start, and you see the masterpiece and everyone celebrates it. Part of part of being a re-leader is saying, you know what? What if I what if my only role is to build the foundation? What if what if I'm called to plant trees that I never sit under the shade? What if I have to plant a tree 
that I never even taste the fruit that it produces. And it really is a mind shift of thinking, you know, what is my calling? What is my destiny? And understanding that God in the Bible, in, in my context as a believer, um, in the book of Zechariah, it says that uh, despise not small beginnings. And it goes on to say, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Now, that's such a bizarre verse, because you would think it would say the Lord rejoices to see the work finished. And it doesn't say that. It says that he rejoices to see the work begin. And so part of it, again, if you're not called to be a re-leader, then you need to run. Like, <laughs> if you're not called to be a re-leader and you're put in a situation where you're called to fix broke stuff, you're going to be miserable. Um, and, you 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 know, you may or may not succeed. Uh, but if you're if you're a true re-leader, it is this concept. It is this thinking. I, I tell the story in the book about this guy that moved in to be my neighbor and when I was living in Oklahoma City. And he had came to Oklahoma City to build the largest um, skyscraper in Oklahoma. It's called the Devon Tower. And he, and he said, uh, I said, hey, what are you doing in town? I'm here to build the foundation of the Devon Tower. And I said, how long are you going to be here? He said, oh, man, I'll be here at least three years. I was like, you'll be here three years to just build a foundation. He said, yeah. And I, and I said, uh, I kind of smart aleck. I didn't mean to be a smart aleck, but I said, how does it feel to build something no one will ever even see? No one will ever drive by the Devon Tower and say, man, would you look at that foundation? Yeah. <laughs> and, and he said, yeah. He said, yeah, John, but let me tell you something. He said, the height of that building is dependent upon how well I build the foundation. And I think that's that's the real heart of a leader is to say, you know what? No one may ever drive by uh, the King's University 50 years from now and say, man, would you look at the foundation of that school? Would you look at the foundation? When I'm long and dead and in the grave and somebody says, man, look at Victory Church. What a great church. Um, they may not even know who John Chastain is. No one may, may remember who I am. But the scaffolding effect, right? So we build this scaffolding effect and re-leaders play such an important role. Um, and to even use the analogy of, of aviation for your listeners, I wrote an article, I think I did a whole podcast on this. Um, in fact, if, how do we do this, right? How do we rebuild foundations? How do we, how do we build uh, strong organizations? How do we rebuild culture? I did this podcast called, called Build It in the Air. And it kind of became this term in Silicon Valley back in the in the boom of the the you know dot com bubble and and they would just kind of start something, not even knowing really what they're doing. And they kind of coined this phrase, build it in the air. We're just gonna get it off the ground and and fix it. And you know, you think about it from an aviation standpoint, let's let's pretend that you're able to get outside the airplane. We have to pretend a lot of things to use this analogy, but let's say you're already in the air. And you got to rebuild the airplane. Well, you're certainly not going to take the wing off, right? If you need to replace the wing, how are you going to replace the wing? You're going to do it one tiny little piece at a time. You know, you're you're gonna you're gonna have to rebuild this thing in the air. And when you're a re-leader, when you're an entrepreneur, you get to build the airplane on the ground, get everything in place, get get momentum, get speed, take off, and now you're in the air. When you're a re-leader, you're called in to be the pilot of a, of a plane that is already in the air. Now it may have used to been at 50,000 feet and now it's at 500 feet. Mm -hmm. But the truth is you've been called in to rebuild something that you didn't break, but it's already airborne. It's already an organization. It's already got all the pieces that make it up an airplane. And so again, it goes back to what we started with is patience. It's a marathon, not a sprint. I'm going to do the small things that matter. And when the Lord says, despise not small beginnings, I'm going to replace one small thing every day. I'm going to plant one seed every day. And someday I'm going to wake up four or five years from now and we're flying a brand new airplane. And I don't know, I can't tell you exactly when it became a new airplane, but at some point along the way, this thing got healthy and we started getting up, we, we started regaining altitude and getting back up into the clouds. So it's a re-leader journey, right? It's so much of what re-leaders are, are born to do and created to do. I think you, I think you really hammered. And there's something you said there. I think it's so important. The when you talk about there's the different kinds of leaders, and not every leader is a re-leader. Um, I've observed leaders, especially in the pastoral world, where they'll plant a church, and three or four years in, they start to get this this itch that they need to get away, and because they're 
their gifting is is in building that community from scratch and and now they're they're into this that day to day role yeah. of just yeah. day in and day out and you can just sense bored. that they're they're bored. Yeah, yeah. And and then you have others that are just like, there's no way I would ever go out and start start from scratch, but I love getting into something that's already running and, and kind of take it on. And I think it's just really important for leaders to understand that you, you're going to fall on one side or the other of that, that yeah. not necessarily are you going to be gifted in both. Yep. Um, and that there's, there's a lot of value to be there, be added there um, with understanding yeah. that, because I, I think I've grown up believing a lot of times that I'm supposed to be both of those things. And supposed to do both of them really well, and it's that's not the case, and, and for yeah. most most people, yeah. I mean, there's seasons where where God may let you like there. Was the honestly, there was a season where I was praying to the Lord, Lord, will you help me start? Will you let me build something? Like, will you let me start something? All I ever do is fix broke stuff, and I I want to build something. And so, you know, we started a campus, our Victory Church. Uh, we started a campus in Texas, in Grapevine, Texas, and we've been starting something from scratch. And so I'm not saying there's not times where a leader might overlap certain things. And we do, we, we have seasons where we rebuild. I mean, even, even a, even a guy who started an organization or business or a church from scratch and 30 years in, it needs to be rebuilt, re, re, recast, revision, new vision. So there's, there's, there's ebbs and flows. There's seasons where we may lean more into releading or re lean more into launching something. But I really do think, um, I really do think Travis, that, that for the most part, we, uh, we have a certain thing in us. Like, even if you think about, again, as a pastor in the context, you have releaders in scripture, right? Moses was an entrepreneurial leader. Joshua was his releader, you know, Elijah was it was I'm doing it again with my emojis. <laughs> Elijah was a leader. Elisha was his re-leader. And so there's there's re-leaders all through scripture. Um and and so I think for the most part there is this particular gift set that comes with re-leading. And there's overlap, obviously. There's massive amounts of overlap yeah. from leader to re-leader, but it really is a gift set for sure. And a calling, right? A calling that God puts on you. But one of the challenges of of probably probably the biggest challenge I would think to being a real leader is, is gaining some gaining trust. So when you first showed up on the scene, what were some of the the things you did to to gain the trust of the people you were leading? Yeah, uh, the the first thing is is um, I'll give you some real practical things too. But uh, your best friend in gaining trust is time. It's your worst enemy and your best friend. <laughs> it just takes time, right? It, I, I just met you guys, but if we spent the next three months together, I would, I would, I would learn to trust you. You would learn to trust me. So time is the number one thing that you have to give yourself permission, right? You can't, you can't go in thinking I'm going to turn this place around in a month. I'm going to turn this around. I'm going to fix this. It's, it's just going to take time. But two, there's some really practical things you can do. Um, a lot of it's depending upon where the trust was lost. Maybe maybe there wasn't any tr lost trust, but if you're picking up pieces, okay. So let's let's use that analogy. If you're picking up the pieces of something that was broken, whether it's culture, staff, financial, moral, whatever it is, you're picking up the pieces of what was lost. That will reveal to you where you need to gain the most trust. So let me give you an example. So in my context, my predecessor had a moral failure. Okay. Um, with with a, a marital relationship okay so i knew that i was going to need to establish some policies procedures barriers to ensure right to to minimize the ability for that to ever happen again so the thing i like to say is we want to build a, a i'd rather build a guardrail on top of the mountain than a hospital at the bottom okay mm. so so if your organization had a financial failure and you're picking up the pieces of the financial failure failure then what do you need to do as a leader to to calm your board, your staff, your constituency base to say, hey, we all realize the situation that was made. And so we're doing A, B, C, and D to try to make sure that that never happens again, right? So if it's relational, if it's financial, maybe it was a security breach in your technology, mm -hmm. wherever it is, wherever whatever's broken, one of the best ways to gain trust 
trust is to try to ensure, right? So I, we put in policies and procedures at the church. Like um, I, as the lead pastor, I'm not allowed to travel by myself. Never, never, never will I, will I travel by myself. Okay. That is one way that we can try to build back some trust there. Um, we try to put policies and procedures in the, Hey, if, if you're meeting with a member of the opposite sex, let's make sure your windows are open in your office, you know, that the, that your doors open something. These are all small examples of spoonfuls of trust that can be regained. And again, it's going to take time to rebuild that trust. And so depending on the context of the leader and the context of the organization and the trust that's been lost, will give you a good indicator of some of the things they need to do to build back that trust, you know. In in the most recent episode of your podcast, which I've really enjoyed diving into, uh, you talked about what's the motive. And we actually just ended a series talking about leadership motives. And so one of the things that you talked about in your episode, what's the motive, is leaders need to understand ourselves. We need to understand ourselves as leaders in order to effectively lead our team. So can you unpack for that for us a little bit and and how do we as leaders go to understand ourselves before even going out and and, and leading our teams and being that effective leader? Yeah, I uh, we're going to go to the deep end of the pool. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> I'm a big I'm a big proponent of um to try to to try to get out of the church world christianese i'm a big proponent of like self self-help self-awareness um inner healing i guess is one way to put it my first book before before this one was a book on inner healing called half the battle because i just think i just think we can never really become the leader we're called to be if i'm not healthy <laughs> if i'm not whole i could be i could be the smartest guy in the room i could be the most educated guy in the room I could have um, every opportunity given to me, but if I'm not healthy, I'm going to lead people to an unhealthy place. Mm. Uh, and I'm just a big proponent of before God can ever do something through me, he usually wants to do something in me. I tell our staff all the time at the church that I can never lead somebody to a place from a stage that I have not first visited off the stage. Mm. And so I'm just a huge component of, who am I? Like, what's in me? Because basically, as a leader, I'm going to duplicate myself, which is can be an exciting thing. It could also be a terrifying thing. So if I have a if I have a mentality, let me use an example. Again, going back to kind of the the a biblical example, um, what I realized in me early on is that I had what I would refer to as an orphan heart. So um, Jesus in the gospel said, "I will not leave you as orphans." And so we know what an orphan is. An orphan is someone who doesn't have a father or a mother. And so they behave in that manner. They don't feel loved. They don't feel accepted. And so it produces this performance. I got to perform to gain approval. I have to have the best title. I have to have success. I have to do something to have, to have something to be something. I have to, let me say it again. You have to be do something to have something in order to be something. And so most leaders, that's a generalization. But I do believe that most most leaders believe that they have to perform to be loved, to be accepted. Most humans, not just leaders. And so the Lord revealed in me that I have an orphan heart many years ago, that all of my drive comes from this desire to please people. And so he he helped me process this to say, no, I I'm loved by a heavenly father. I don't I don't need anything. Right. So when Jesus before Jesus started his ministry. It says that the Lord baptized him, or he, he was baptized by, by John, and he came up out of the water, and it says his heavenly father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So if you think about that, that's before Jesus ever did anything. He had not done one miracle. He had not even begun. his. He had, he had done nothing yeah. before he ever started. The Lord said, this is my son, number one, and I am really pleased with him. So um, we start in that manner. We're leaders from that place that I'm loved. I am, I start with an A plus. And so now it's not, I have to do something to be something. I'm not, it's not that I have to do something to have something to be something. I actually reverse that. And I say, I already am something. 
I start from that place. I am everything I need to be. And because I already am, I already have, right? So I already have everything I need. The Lord has already given me all of my giftings, all of my anointings, all of the callings. And, and from those two places, now I go do something. So I do it from that place. So I, I'm kind of rambling there, but I, I'm just a big proponent, Travis, of, man, I want to be healthy. I want to be mentally aware. I want to be socially aware. I want to be self-aware. I want to be aware of what's in me because whatever's in me, I'm going to project is going to come out of me. So I'm, I'm just big on who am I? What are my motives? What's driving me? Um, and I could talk about this for days, so I'll, I'll just stop right there. But um, I just, I am, I'm so big on this. And I think, I think there's a lot of leaders who lead from an unhealthy place. And so most, and part of the problem is because I'm a real eater and I fix broke stuff. And so I want to be like, I don't ever want to break something. I don't, I don't ever want to be the guy that somebody has to come up after me and clean up the mess I made. And so how do I keep from making a mess? I don't, I don't want a re-leader to have to come after me. <laughs> so that's part of the drive for it. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the, one of the things I'm very curious to know what your thoughts are, you know, you, you've talked about this idea of you've been the one kind of fixing the, the, the mess, fixing the problems, but in our culture today, I mean, obviously we see this unfortunately quite often in the pastoral world, but also with CEOs and, and leaders as they, they reach these points of no return almost where they're, they're, they're re, there's nothing to do but resign or be terminated, you know, as someone who's worked a lot on the other side of this, yep. what are some of your observations and what are some of those root causes or common threads that you're like, you know, if, if, they, if, if, if we could have stopped it here, you know, this could have been a different outcome. Yeah. I think um, this is just my opinion, so I don't I don't want to say this is the, you know, the end all be all. But what I what I think I see in a lot of leaders, um, and I and I even see it in myself, and I have to fight against it is in our subconscious, right? When we become a leader, let's say you're a, a entrepreneurial leader, a pastor, it doesn't really matter what what you're leading. In in your subconscious, you actually have this this picture or a dream of success. Okay, so this is the pinnacle whatever the pinnacle is. So if you're a pastor, it could be the size of your church. If you're a business owner, it could be the size of your business. If it's, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. And I think one of the most dangerous things we could ever get to as leaders is complacent and comfortable. I think comfort is one of the most um, dangerous places we could ever get to. Um, and so what I see in a lot of leaders is when we one of two things happen, right? We either try for a really long, long time and we burn out. We don't reach our, our, our success subconscious picture and we get frustrated and confused. And, um, and maybe we end up spiraling out because of that, or possibly the other, the, the other end of the spectrum is you actually do achieve it. You actually do reach the pinnacle. And then you kind of, you kind of downshift to neutral and you just start mm. coasting. And, and coasting is a very dangerous place. And I've, I've seen this happen several times in several organizations and leaders where whether it's a building or the size of your ministry or whatever it is, you hit that pinnacle and the leader just kind of downshifts and starts coasting. Um, so this, this is just, that's just one of hundreds of different things that can, that can cause this. We really, we really want to simplify it. It's just human nature and our sin nature. Um, but I think I just think complacency is really dangerous. Uh, I actually think we're we are bred, in a sense, as as human beings to be uncomfortable. Like if you want to get in shape, what do you got to do? You got to go to the gym. You got to sweat. You got to work out. It hurts. It's painful. Like we're 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 bred for pain in a sense. And so, um, what I've noticed is every time I get comfortable, God makes me uncomfortable. And it actually is what produces the finest things in us is discomfort. Because when we're uncomfortable, we have no choice but to lean on the Lord. For for those of us that are followers of Christ, is in my discomfort, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't do this without the Lord. And so we end up leaning on the Lord and he helps us and encourages us and empowers us and emboldens us and convicts us, right? And when I get into these, these seasons of life where I'm comfortable, guess what? I don't need the Lord. I'm good. I don't, I don't need his help. And, um, when they make champagne, uh, they, they, they do it by, 
by robotics a lot today, but back in the old old days, they when they make champagne, it's it's grapes just like anything else. But whenever they they would put it in these these um, circular holders, and there was these group of guys called the Riddlers, and and they would come in and they would their only job was every now and then to walk in and to to walk up to this bottle and give it a quarter turn, and they were called the Riddlers. And they walk up and they just give it a quarter turn. And what they're doing is they're not allowing the the sediments of of that's in the bottle to settle to the bottom. Mm. There's actually a passage in this in, in Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, it says the Moabites have settled on their dregs. And, and it means they've become comfortable. And it's using this analogy of wine, how if if the sediments in the wine settle to the bottom for too long, it causes the wine to grow bitter. And so these riddlers would come in and they would just give it a quarter turn. And what they're doing is they're making the wine uncomfortable. They're, they're disturbing it. Right. And so there's a disturbing that's happening. And I think the best leaders that, that have a longevity in their leadership career are those who are just unsettled. And now that that's unsettling, but like we're called to be uncomfortable. Like if you're not uncomfortable, you're not leading. And we we're all fans of Sam Chan. He wrote a book called, um, uh, leadership pain. Yeah. And he said, never follow up that doesn't have a limp. And he's like, we don't call it leadership. We call it leadership. Yeah. Well, we're just, we're not called to be comfortable. And I think comfort for a leader is one of the most dangerous places we could ever get. Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Uh, when I started reading your book last week, you mentioned you were at a time where you just took over victory church was appointed to the, the lead role for that. And then you were also presented an opportunity um, to become president of, of the university. Um, mm -hmm. Both roles are very, very significant roles. Um, how did you find the balance between the two? Because you're leading two pretty significant organizations, a lot yeah. of different intricacies involved in yeah. both of those roles. How did you, how did you find that balance? I'm just curious. So the first one, um, again, my context is always context is is always faith first. So for me, in my context, one there was a grace on it, and and the Lord had His hand on it and His grace on it, and and the moment that that grace lifted, five years in, I resigned. I walked I walked away from the university, so I don't do it anymore. There was a, there was a season of grace on it. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, if you don't have the grace on you to do it, it won't work. Um, but uh, strategically systematically um i i let go of stuff i i didn't micromanage people i empowered people i had i had three guys at the universe at the church that were my executive guys that i empowered and i i turned them loose um and then i had four vps at the university so the way i the way the way that i contextualize it best is in my mind i wasn't leading two organizations i was leading seven people so I, if I lead these three guys and these four guys, some of them mm -hmm. being gals, if I lead these seven people and I empower them, and what I would always say to them is, guys, I know, I know you think that you work for me and I understand I'm your boss, whatever, but I want you to flip your thinking to think you don't work for me. I actually work for you. I'm only here to fix problems you can't fix. So my only job is to fix your problems. So go do your jobs, crush it. I trust you. Most of you are smarter than me. Go do what you're called to do. And when you have any problems, you come to me and I'll fix it. And so I that's one of the ways I just had to contextualize it. I had to put aside the hundreds of people on staff and the you know hundreds of students at the university and the thousands of people at the church and say, no, my job is to steward both organizations by leading seven people. And that that helped me mentally <laughs> to think I all I got to do is lead seven people, um, and and we can make this work. And so I had to delegate authority. I told, and in fact, when I went to the university, I told the three guys at the church, I said, guys, I don't ever want to hear a story of you being in a meeting, and a decision needs to be made, and you saying, let me ask John, and I'll get back with you. Mm. I said, just make a decision. Now, you know where those boundaries are. You're not going to sign a mortgage without me. Like, you know where some of those boundaries are. <laughs> but if we're just talking about day-to-day -day operations, man, just make a decision. And you're going to mess up. You're going to screw things up. And it's going to be okay. But 
but I had to give empowerment, right? I, I had to push decision-making further down into the organizations, which what I realized later, Cameron, was uh, when I did that, um, the people that were under me, I what I realized, and this will be a John Maxwell rip, is I was the lid, right? Mm -hmm. Because they loved me and honored me. As long as I was around, they would never go past me. And when I went to the university and moved out of the way, they actually flourished and they, they blossomed into the leaders that, that was truly down inside of them. And it took me getting out of the way and empowering them to see what was really in them to come out. So just I, honestly, to super oversimplify it, it really wasn't me. It was these seven people that just crushed it. You know, mm -hmm. they, they were just great leaders and I got out of their way and I gave leadership to them and support to them. And they just did phenomenal jobs. Awesome. That's a, that's a great perspective. Um, as, as we come to a close, we're going to go through a rapid fire of uh, a few questions that we have just so our listeners can get to know you a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but as we come to a close, um, what do you, what do you really hope that readers of this book get out of, of, of this message? First thing is that they realize they're re-leaders. I think there's a lot of people out there. I've had so many people come to me and say, man, finally, there's a word that describes what I am. Like I've, I felt like I've struggled to, to define who I am. And I realize now that I'm a re-leader. So a lot of it is just this recognition of, yes, that's my tribe. And that's what releader.co is all about is just this, I do a writing every week and it's just this tribe of everybody's a re-leader. And so we understand, we talk one another's language. And then two is just encouragement, man, because re-leaders need to be encouraged. Uh, they're not famous. They're light, their names are not in lights. You know, re-leadership is a lonely job that a lot of people don't know you're doing it, but it's one of the most important jobs on the planet. So I, I just want people to be encouraged um, to keep going. Yeah, that's a big part of it. If people want to find out more about kind of what you're doing and follow you, where's the best place to do that? Yeah, so website-wise, you can go to releader.co, and it's just re and then leader, all one word, uh, dot co. So that's a good website to go to. And then I'm on Instagram, uh, John Chastain, no H in John, just J-O-N Chastain, all one, all one word on Instagram. And I, the re-leaders on Instagram too, you can find that, but those are probably the two easiest places to, to track me down. Well, excellent. As we kind of go into this final section, it's a little bit of rapid fire, but um, one of our, one of the questions we love to ask people is uh, how do you consume content personally and to help you professionally grow and develop yep. and, and books recommendations. What, what are you, what are you reading these days? Yeah. So um, uh, I'm reading a book right now that I'll tell everybody, I'll tell everybody what it is, but I am a, what I, another thing I learned about myself is I'm an audible learner. Uh, when I read a book, I fall asleep, but I still need to read books. So what I've learned is that I learn better by listening than I do by looking. And so I, I listen to books. I, I love podcasts. I, I listen to podcasts all week, every week, and then I'll listen to books. The book I'm listening to right now is a really strange, well, it's not strange. I'm I'm listening to uh, Elon Musk's new biography. It just came out and it's like a 20 hour audio book, but there's a lot of things I'm listening to it going, wow, that was a really bad leadership move. But then there's a lot of things that I'm learning about myself that sometimes I'm not assertive enough. I'm not decisive enough. Elon is crazy he's on the spectrum so he makes irrational decisions and just crazy things that he does but to me it's fascinating to get inside his mind and see how he thinks and sometimes i'm like oh my gosh that was the worst decision you could have ever made but it's also like man sometimes i'm like man that was that was good so i'm, I'm really enjoying that book right now excellent and the next one would be dead or alive who would you want to have lunch with Oof. <laughs> dead or alive dead or alive um, I want to have lunch with the apostle Paul. He fascinates me. So, so I'd probably have lunch with him. There's a, there's actually a great book called the traveler's gift. And then another, uh, sequel, uh, uh, sequel to that. But I love that book. Cause that's kind of what it is. It's like this guy interacting with all these people that are dead and gone. So, um, I don't know. That's just off the cuff. The apostle Paul, <laughs> uh, what's a bucket list item for you? I want to go up in a fighter jet. So if any of your listeners, oh, this is perfect because this is an aviation. <laughs> I'm, oh, no, look, I'm, I'm reading this book right now. Okay. This book right here. 
called Top Guns Top Ten. There you go. A lady in my church, this is his her son. Oh. And, uh, so anyways, I'm fascinated with fighter jets. Uh, I'll watch any movie that has a fighter jet in it. And I want to put a challenge out there to any fighter jet pilots. Make me throw up, please. I <laughs> want to go up in a fighter jet. Like That's my all-time <laughs> bucket list is I want somebody to make me pass out in a fighter jet. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe we can make that happen. You never know. You never know. <laughs> and the final one, a little bit more, more on the serious side is, uh, what's the best piece of advice or words of wisdom you've ever received? Ooh, my gosh. Uh, I, I talk about it in the book whenever I was the pastor of the church and um, the university came to me and asked me to be the university president. And I was like, this is impossible. I don't know which one to do. And they asked me to do both. And I remember I went to Craig Rochelle, my pastor, and I said, this is crazy, right, Craig? And I, I, this is impossible. I can't do this. And the, the most impactful one-liner to me in my whole life is he just looked at me and he said, John, you know what your problem is? He said, you think God is a God of either or. And he said, you're about to meet the God of and. Mm. And he said, this is just your next and. And so I think the most impactful thing to me was to, to, to realize that I'm capable of so much more than I give myself credit for and that I give God credit for. Though we tend to put God in a box and we think he's going to work here. Um, but I think taking those limits off, that was probably the most impactful <clears throat> one line or anybody's ever told me. And it sent me on a trajectory um, that I would have never guessed. So that's probably the, the biggest piece of advice I ever got. Well, Pastor John, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Um, this is a, this is, I mean, we've done over a hundred podcasts and this is a top two for me wow. as far as, yeah. uh, you know, for us. So we thank you for your time today. That's awesome. And the number one is Sam Chan. So, <laughs> oh, hey. <laughs> anywhere, anywhere around that is, you know, oh my gosh. <laughs> Kimmer and Travis, thank you guys. Thanks for what y'all do. And thank you. Encouraging people and the podcast. And I'm, I'm honored to be on. So, I appreciate you guys. Well, we thank you so much for tuning in to the Leadership Download Podcast. I really hope this interview with Dr. John Chastain really was helpful. To learn more about what it means to be a re-leader and how to fix what you didn't break. Uh, I really hope you go get your copy of this book. Um, you can find the link in the comments on whichever uh, platform you're listening on. You can find it in the description. And um, the, the book is called Re-Leader, How to Fix What You Didn't Break. We thank you so much for tuning in to the Leadership Download Podcast. If this is your first time listening in, Feel free to subscribe so that you receive a notification when the next episode goes live. And feel free to go and catch up on some of the previous episodes and guests that we've had on so far this year. And we will catch you on the next episode next week.